Volvo Group's Chief Technology Officer, Lars Stenkvist, joins me to talk about the fuel of the future, hydrogen. I'm Jim Park, and this is HTT Talks Trucking, Season 6, Episode 6. Volvo Trucks is committed to decarbonizing its share of the road transport system by 2050. Given the typical life cycle of a diesel truck, Volvo will need to have a viable solution in customer hands by no later than 2040. Hydrogen, the company says, will play a key role in its fossil-free strategy. Volvo recently committed to accelerate the use of hydrogen-based energy by forming a joint venture with Daimler Truck AG called Cellcentric. The two companies plan to build one of Europe's largest fuel cell production facilities with operations there slated to begin in 2025. Joining me to talk about Volvo's vision for a hydrogen future is Volvo Group's Chief Technology Officer, Lars Stenkvist. We'll be back with Lars right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more. Hi there, Lars. Nice to meet you, sir. Good to see you, Jim. What part of the world are you in today? No, I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden. Ah, okay. Lovely this time of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's a good part of the year. It's much better than November, I can tell you. <laughs> I understand that for sure. So, why why do you think the debate between battery and hydrogen is so polarizing? You you we have you know the tech press and everybody else is all about battery electric, and then other groups are far more hydrogen centric, like you and Daimler, mm-hmm. obviously. Why is it splitting up that way? Well, I think it's important to start with and say our strategy in the Volvo Group then, because we are not uh, we, we decided not to be polarized here. Uh, we, we are committed uh, to the Paris Agreement. We are committed to decarbonized road transport. And uh, if we're talking about having a decarbonized road transport system 2050, and you know that uh, our vehicles, they last for, say, 10 years then it means that from 2014 onwards, we can only deliver fossil-free solutions to our customers. Otherwise, it will not be fossil-free 2050 for real out there. And we made a really thorough analysis on what technologies we think that we can rely upon towards the 2040. Starting point is, of course, the combustion engine. And we could have stated that we rely on combustion engines running on biodiesel or biofuel than uh, towards 2040 solely. But we are convinced that there will not be enough biofuel available in order to decarbonize all road transport. That biofuel that will be available will be directed to other industries or other sectors in the in the society that is in greater need for it than we are. There will be certain biofuel directed to our industry, but not enough. And that's why we have stated that we believe in the combustion engine as one of the technologies for the future, for really the long-term future. There are far too many guys declaring the death of the combustion engine already today. I don't believe in that at all. We will continue to invest in, in, in that one, but then running on biofuel. But it will be a minority of our vehicles because it will not be available biofuel. 
So the ma majority of the vehicles will be electric. And we believe that it will be a mix between battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. Uh, we are rather convinced uh, that uh, they will, those two technologies, they will sort of outcompete each other in different applications. So for these reasons, we believe that electric vehicles will then uh, be constituted with both batteries and fuel cell uh, electric vehicles. We think that the sweet spot for the two technologies is a little bit different. If you take it, we think a little bit, if I illustrated that they come from two angles or two directions where battery electric vehicles is um, uh, preferred in sort of starting in somewhat lighter applications, closer to cities, you can talk about refuse applications, local distribution, regional distribution, regional hall, those kind of applications where you normally come home in the evening. You come home to your depot, you can use your normal charging network for your charging of the batteries. And then you take the fuel cell electric vehicles, we think that the sweet spot for them is more sort of uh, transcontinental uh, transport, um, the truly heavy, truly long haul, the guys that are not coming home in the evening, the guys that are relying on range, the guys that are relying on quick refueling, uh, that are not really not so predictable, they don't know exactly where they will end up in that evening or where they will refuel, etc. So they come from two directions and in the middle they will meet each other. I do not think it's one sharp borderline and say on to, to the right it's fuel cell and to the left it's battery electric vehicles. It will be gray zone where you will have applications where both can be beneficial and it can be dependent on um, electricity pricing, hydrogen pricing, availability of infrastructure, etc. Uh, but we are convinced that coming from the two directions, it will be high volumes of both. So um, no silver bullet. You have to have at least three bullets in your gun in <laughs> order to uh, meet the future demands. Good way of putting it, yeah. Well, I've been doing some reading on the combustion engines, just to go down that path for a minute. Uh, seems to be... Uh, again, diverse opinion on whether or not they work well. Uh, there are certainly upsides and downsides compared to gasoline. Uh, but the, the impression I get is the high-pressure direct injection hydrogen engine works fairly well, whereas the, you know, naturally aspirated, not so much. The technology that you're developing right now, is it the high-pressure direct injection? And how will that work into the market? And what applications will we see those engines in? Well, when it comes to combustion engines, uh, we have um, uh, we are working with uh, several different uh, uh, solutions, uh, meaning that hydrogen in combustion engines is just one of our development tracks. We have not decided to industrialize that yet. We are looking into different solutions, different injection systems, etc. Uh, but but it is so interesting, so we are, that we are continuing our development efforts. Okay, but still without any decision to industrialize it. It certainly has uh, uh, some uh, say, um, drawbacks or some technology uh, challenges. Um, naturally, then running on pure hydrogen, you get no carbon at all because there is, per definition, no carbon in the fuel, meaning that you get no soot in the combustion. And you know, soot is good for lubrication. So it's a very, very dry 
combustion, and that means that you have to work on the lubrication as such, or on the material selections then. You, you also get per definition uh, law of physics a lot of water uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in a combustion engine when you're uh, uh, you using hydrogen. And a lot of water then is a risk for corrosion. Uh, and of course then uh, you don't want to have any leakage in an engine that you're running on hydrogen. So you have to be very keen on both injection and and different kind of um, uh, leakage strategies then. So we, we, we believe that there is definitely possibilities for hydrogen, green hydrogen in combustion engines, putting a lot of effort into this right now, but we have not decided to industrialize it yet. Okay. Uh, do you still get knocks out of the uh, hydrogen combustion yes. engine? Yes. Uh, good that you're raising that. It's, it's a very good point. You get knocks, but you get knocks on a, on a low level. So it's rather easy to meet, let's say current emission legislation is rather easy to meet. Uh, but it's a good point that they are raising because uh, uh, fr from, uh, from a regulated emission perspective, it's of course not a zero emission solution when it comes to NOx. Um, and to be honest, it's not zero emission when it comes to suit or part particulates either because you will still have minimal soot particles coming out from the oil system of, of the engine. Uh, but for, for certain applications like long haul, for example, when you're out of the city centers, uh, then uh, I would dare to say that it, it is a very, very good solution from a societal perspective. But if you're then really, really strict in talking about zero emission, also then including NOx for city centers, then most likely those engines will not then serve in the city centers and then you will have the battery electric or the fuel electric vehicles. Okay. Uh, well, looking at uh, energy density, I guess, uh, hydrogen in versus energy out, how would you compare an internal combustion hydrogen engine versus a fuel cell for the same, you know, 10 kilograms of hydrogen? Which would, do, which would be more efficient on the road? That's what we are exploring now, uh, but um, most likely in the long run, uh, most likely fuel cells will be more efficient. But um, you have to put many parameters into the equation. Uh, it's not just about fuel efficiency. It's of course in the it's the total cost of ownership per mile that counts. Yeah. Then so uh, say investment cost of the vehicles, etc. But um, uh, I dare to say that there is still a lot to explore, both when it comes to efficiency of the fuel cells, but also when it comes to efficiency of the combustion engines running on hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And there are no emissions from a fuel cell, correct? Uh, water. Water, yeah. I think we're still okay mm. with that. I don't know. Give CARB some time. <laughs> no, Maybe they'll change no, but, their but, mind. But, no, but, but as, as you say, it, it's of course a true, it's a true zero emission solution. So, uh, I mean, from uh, from uh, from an environmental perspective, it's, uh, it's a dream, of course. Okay. I'm speaking with Volvo Group's Chief Technology Officer, Lars Stenkvist. The Volvo Group recently formed a joint venture with Daimler Trucks AG called Cellcentric to accelerate the development of hydrogen fuel cell technology. When we come back, we'll dig into the practicality of hydrogen as a transportation energy source, timelines for its deployment, and how we'll get to cost parity with diesel. I'm Jim Park. This is HGT Talks Trucking. We'll be right back. HGT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. 
a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HDTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in this business. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HDTX 2021. Visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. We're speaking with Volvo Group's Chief Technology Officer, Lars Stenqvist. Lars, before we get to the fuel delivery infrastructure and ownership costs, one of the criticisms I've heard about hydrogen is the, the conversion losses in the energy getting from whatever hydrogen is in, methane, for example, uh, to the wheels. There's a lot of energy lost in that process. Um, how, do you, how do you overcome that, given that you know, a lot of the hydrogen we're using today is so-called gray hydrogen? I know we're working to green, but we're not there yet. But on the gray hydrogen scale... Uh, we're still producing a lot of unpleasant emissions to get the hydrogen and losing energy in the process. How does that all rationalize? And and to bonus then, uh, everything that we are doing is then towards fossil free. And uh, talking about grey hydrogen can only be acceptable as some kind of starting point or a quick transition or whatsoever. Because if the if the solution is grey hydrogen, then we have not gained anything at all. It no. must be it must be green hydrogen, and that means that we will need a lot of green electricity, a lot of low-priced green electricity, and then, for example, through electrolyzers, then converting um, water into hydrogen and oxygen, then and by that uh, producing the hydrogen. And this is our main assumption around this uh, that. Uh, because there will be such a need in society for cheap uh, green hydrogen. Uh, we believe that the hydrogen can be up to up to 20% of the total energy need or uh, energy demand in the world can be uh, met with hydrogen. So that is our belief is that there will be a lot of uh, right cost level for green hydrogen going forward. That's an assumption we are doing when we are betting on fuel cell technology. And it can only be an assumption at this point because there's not a lot of green hydrogen around yet. No, no, definitely. I mean, it's almost nothing. It's just a fraction. And if you look at what is produced today, you will need to increase the amount of hydrogen produced in the world with something around between five to seven times compared to today. And today, as you say, almost all hydrogen is gray. So it's uh, to increase five to seven times and replace the gray one with the green one. So it's definitely a way to go. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, as I said, I, I can say, if we were the only ones relying on uh, hydrogen in the long run, then I would be much more afraid than I am today. But since I know that there are so many other industries committing today, and they will need the cheap hydrogen, that, that, that is the reason why I'm so optimistic that we will reach these uh, targeted levels. So trucking won't be driving the hydrogen economy. It'll just be tagging along and going along for the ride. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we do believe, as you said in the beginning, we do believe in hydrogen society. Uh, it's very important to understand that we are far from the only consumer of hydrogen going forward. Uh, the, the, the hydrogen that will be used for road transport 
it will only be a fraction of the hydrogen that will be used in society. The, the big players that really will consume hydrogen, that's for example in the steel industry, that's in the concrete and cement industry, that's in the chemical industry. Uh, I do foresee that you have it in shipping. I do foresee that you will have hydrogen or ammonia in also in other applications, can be aviation. So I do foresee that we are, I think we are far less than 10% of the total hydrogen uh, consumption. And that means that there will be a lot of hydrogen available in society. There will be a lot of green hydrogen available in society at a very attractive uh, price point. And we believe that from an infrastructure perspective that this is beneficial for society because it will be hundreds of thousands of trucks out there. It will be millions of pass cars. And we think it will be good if not everyone is running on battery electric vehicles. We think it will be helpful to have a combination of charging points for battery electric vehicles and refueling stations where you then refuel your vehicle with hydrogen. And because uh, otherwise we will put an enormous pressure on the electrical grid and the balancing. Well, let's take a look at the uh, <clears throat> the three possible power sources then, uh, battery electric, fuel cell electric, and hydrogen internal combustion. Uh, which of those energy sources do you see winding up in which applications? Now, as, as I said, battery electric vehicles is coming from the somewhat lighter applications, uh, going up to regional haulage. Uh, fuel cell electric vehicles will come from the more long-range, uh, heavy, heavy applications. Combustion engines running on different kind of biofuels will be a little bit more in the very long run of niche solutions. Um, but you can think about, for example, uh, uh, that w where will the limit be for uh, fuel cells? Most likely one limitation will be when it comes to cooling capacity on board on a, on a vehicle, because you need to cool a fuel cell system rather much. And that means that in certain application, it can be interesting to have a combustion engine with really high power, high power output. Uh, so in the really, really heavy uh, applications, uh, I do foresee that combustion engines will play a very important role going forward, even though they will be in minority in the long run. Okay. And what about the uh, the lighter class, medium duty and, and, and below the class four or five vehicles? Uh, is fuel cells or hydrogen have a place in that market too? I, I think that the majority of those kind of vehicles will be battery electric. Uh, it is uh, in, in that uh, it's in that segment that I am talking about as a normal transport coming home in the evening, or you have a base where you're starting and coming back to. So in most cases, they will be battery electric uh, going forward. Okay. And what kind of a timeline do you see um, in the transition toward this fossil-free economy? Well, since we are serious and talking about the 2040, we will only have fossil free solutions. Uh, it's obviously so that already by 2030, we must be, uh, 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 we, we must meet uh, a certain volume. So we have stated clearly that um, from a global perspective, 2030, we will have a level of 35% to one third of the vehicles will be electric. Can be battery electric, can be fuel cell electric. And then it means that we need to accelerate uh, in the decade between 2030-2040 to then 100% fossil free solutions then. So it's an ambitious target towards 2030, 
But if we are to meet 100% 2040, then we need to be on levels like 35% 2030. Otherwise, it will be a hockey stick uh, like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, when you talk about the total cost of ownership, um, in the electric side, you've you've got a relatively inexpensive vehicle, batteries and all the motors, not way over the top expensive, but you've got this huge electrical infrastructure that needs to be funded or financed by somebody. Uh, in the hydrogen side, who looks after the infrastructure, the delivery of the hydrogen? Is there a, are we going to have hydrogen utility companies at some point, or do the, the owners of the truck still have to support their own fueling networks? I'm convinced that we will get commercial networks and commercial players that will provide the hydrogen going forward. And uh, um, I am in regular contact with uh, with a lot of different players and a lot of different stakeholders. We don't have the intention to produce any kind of hydrogen, but we are participating in a lot of discussions in a lot of consortia and forums um, in order to, to smooth and to pave the way. Um, but a lot of the big energy companies are, of course, looking into the possibilities of producing hydrogen. Uh, I do foresee that you will get the mix. Uh, I do foresee that you will have rather much local production in a distributed uh, in a distributed network uh, around different continents. It can be around steel mills, for example, where you most likely will have a big consumption. There, most likely, you will produce it as well. And that means that from every steel mill, you can then have a local distribution then out to the refueling stations. But in the world, most likely, you will also get um, uh, shipments, tanker, tankers transporting hydrogen, because you will have certain countries in the world that will outcompete others when it comes to the cost of green electricity, solar-based solar electricity, for example. And they cannot then de- export the electricity as such, but they can convert it into hydrogen and export it. So I think that you will see a mix of this one, but uh, I'm convinced um, that you will see, Jim, uh, uh, commercial hydrogen supply infrastructure as we know it today when it comes to diesel, petrol, or gas. Okay. Uh, what you said about where hydrogen uh, is, is concentrated, steel mills, ports, what have you, where does that leave the, the hinterland? <laughs> you know, folks who don't have steel, mill, steel mills nearby or, or port facilities where hydrogen can be shipped in, uh, is that going to be a, an electric economy in those areas and hydrogen where it is easy to no, get? I, no, I, I do I do foresee that you will get, uh, if, if you look at uh, hydrogen to start with, you will get a network um, uh, across, for example, North America, from west to east, from north to south, along the big highways, the highway network. There you will get refueling stations for hydrogen. That's exactly what we foresee in Europe right now. Um, uh, clear commitments from uh, politicians in, uh, in the European Commission now to start to build up 500 refueling stations by 2025 and up to 1,000 and by 2030. And we have made a map then on the different highways in Europe to point out what is necessary. And I do foresee exactly the same in North America that uh, across then, but, but you don't have to start with an extremely you, you don't have to start with, you know, four, four refueling stations in the same crossing. It's enough to start with one. Uh, and then over time, I do foresee that sort of every refueling station will have uh, the possibility also to utilize hydrogen. But uh, to start with, it's enough that you get the network. And since the range is rather impressive, you don't have to have it every 10 miles. Um, That's true, yeah. 
Okay, and last question, I guess we're close to the end of the session here. From the end user's point of view, cost parity with diesel is the objective. Uh, how long mm-hmm. do you think it'll take us to get there with either of those three solutions? But I think that's a little bit also up to our politicians in, in, in how they want to make this uh, transition. Um, I do foresee uh, that we will get support uh, in different parts of the world because there must be some kind of price or some kind of negative incentive on fossil-based fuel going forward. Uh, and if that comes so that you get a higher cost on the diesel, then uh, automatically you will then speed up this transformation. Yeah. Uh, 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 so. Hard to say, but as I said, we have a clear target to reach 35% electric vehicles by 2030. And I can tell you, Jim, that we don't have the intention to subsidize the sales of them compared to the other ones. We do foresee that they will then uh, be competitive for real, that our customers, we choose these ones because they are then delivering the lowest total cost of ownership for them by 2030. So uh, we, we foresee a rather quick shift and a rather quick transformation. Okay, Lars, I thank you for that. Thank you, Jim. HTT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HTTX is a networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us August 25th through August 27th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HTTX 2021. To view this year's agenda and apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021, visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. That wraps up Season 6 for HDT Talks Trucking. If you're interested in hydrogen as a transportation energy source, check out our interview from Season 5 with Ben Nyland, the President and CEO of fuel cell developer Loop Energy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please spread the word on social media and give us a rating and a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If there's something you'd like us to cover on HGT Talks Trucking, shoot me an email at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HGT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.